Uh, well, my name is Buddy, and I uh, just want to welcome you or add my word of greeting to those you've already heard in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here. And um, we've been going through a series called Lord Teach Us to Pray. You can throw up the first slide there, Nick. I want you to notice the statement under it. Lord, teach us to pray, practicing Jesus' way of prayer in the Gospel of Luke. And we started with his disciples catching Jesus praying, and they're like, wait, there's something about prayer's important to you, and teach us to pray. And the, what our 56ers led us in was the version from Luke. Of Jesus said, all right, here's a framework, here's a template. Um, pray these so that your heart can get into a place, and I say this, pray until you pray. And then we also looked at Jesus' habit, his rhythms of renewal with his father, that he would often slip away to desolate places to get alone with God. And we said, not as much to get things from God, but to get God, and actually in the showing up that God might get him, that he might have his heart anew, that he might, God might refresh him and strengthen him. And he emerged from that, not only um, strengthened, because of his relationship with the Father, but also with clarity. Um, as he said, you know what, I know there's a lot of folks here that need healing. We've healed many, but that's not why I've come. I need to go elsewhere. And he, he was clear about that. Then when Avinash was here, he looked at Jesus telling a parable to give us a picture, picture of the posture to approach him, not like the Pharisee thanking God that he was not like this tax collector and is actually the one we think would be whose prayers would be honored would be the religious guy. No, it was the tax collector, the sinner, who just said, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. And that's the posture that we can um, assume, and yet we can also come with the confidence of son, as sons and daughters, because he's giving us, he has given us um, access to him. And last week, we saw in the upper room, Jesus is getting closer to the cross, and he tells Peter, calls him Simon, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked permission to sift you, and it's y'all, the, all the disciples, like wheat. And then he says, but I prayed for you, Peter, as the leader of this bunch. And he says that, he says it singular four times. I prayed for you that your faith might not fail. And by that he means ultimately fail because he knows you're going to blow it. As he then says, and when you've turned back to God, strengthen your brothers. And we saw Peter uh, do that. We saw Peter deny like he thought he wouldn't because he was weak and frail and, and tried to depend on his own oomph rather than the Lord at that moment. And then after Jesus restores him to ministry, we see him strengthening his brothers, even in the midst of extreme persecution uh, and pressure from the outside. Well, today we're going to look at, I, I ask in the email, you know, are your prayers garden variety? And we use garden variety as like, you know, just so hum, you know, ho-hum, ordinary. And in one sense, I hope through this, we're seeing that God invites us. Don't just pray in the big moments. Pray in the everyday, ordinary moments. Those are garden variety. But today we're actually going to look at the, the more famous garden variety prayer when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. Um, and that's where he goes knowing the cross is coming and coming within hours. My question before we get into, and we're going to read a lot of the text today, 
My question is, where do you go? We looked at when Jesus, the crowds were, and his fame was rising, he prayed. He, he got away to be with his father. And now we're going to see in a moment of crisis, he's ultimately going to end in his torturous death on the cross. It's not just when the crowds are rising and fame is, you know, everywhere. People are seeking him out, the good times, if you will. But it's also those that are about to crush him, moments of crisis that he also prays. Where do you and I go? Where do you go when you're feeling pressure, when you're facing the strains of stress, when you are in a place where you think, I don't have many more threads in me to unravel? Where do you go when you're confronted with a dilemma, one that you are increasingly potentially, increasingly seeing you have zero control over, and yet you've also ratcheted up increasingly the percentage of how much you're trying to grip onto the control of the moment. Where do you go? When you're aching with disappointment, it didn't turn out the way you thought. Well, so-and-so's life just seems altogether, and mine is just not going anywhere. It's a hurt, a deep hurt or disappointment. To what do you turn? We all turn to something or someone. The question is where? And we're going to see Jesus. Where does he go? To whom does he turn in his crisis moments? If you'll turn to Luke 23, Luke chapter 23, we're going to look at just the moment of the cross. Jesus prior to this, is going to endure um, the betrayal and then the, the trials that are ridiculous and then the denials from Peter uh, and then scourging and beatings and then crucifixion. And then we're going to see now he's, he's, he's on the cross or he's getting to the cross and he will be put on the cross. And we're just going to watch. We're going to highlight two cross prayers. What does Jesus pray in Luke's account? He says other things in other gospel accounts. But there are two prayers, very brief prayers that Jesus prays from the cross. But I want us to feel the story. I want us to see Jesus in this crisis moment. And how does he respond to the pressures, to the abuse, to the mockings? How does he respond? And then that spills out in his prayers. If you would look at Luke 23, verse, beginning in verse 23. Pick me up there. Luke 23, verse 33. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing his garments among themselves. Further humiliation. And the people stood by watching, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also ridiculed him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other responded and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? 
And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the entire land until the ninth hour, because the sun stopped shining, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And having said this, he died. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, This man was in fact innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, after watching what had happened, began to return home, beating their chest. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. This is Jesus on the cross. You already get the feeling just from reading it. It was a torturous, gruesome instrument of death. It was the way that the Romans kept everybody at bay, kept order in the world, said, if you cross us, the cross is where you will go. Um, it was the way in which uh, those who hung, hung on the cross were admitting guilt, though Jesus did not. Uh, there's partially, perhaps, why he doesn't carry his cross all the way. God provides a way for him to not say, I'm not saying I'm guilty. Um, and yet, what is proven over and over again, in Luke's account particularly, he wants to stress, Jesus is the innocent one. He says it over and over. He had no sin. He did not sin, and yet he died amongst sinners. He died with the transgressors. He died between thieves. And it's an awful, gruesome way to die. But, I, you know, and I was reading this week again, I believe that the what was most torturous, what was most anguishing for Jesus was actually beyond the incredible physical pain. I believe it was when he cries out in other gospels, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. He's in agony over the real momentary abandonment of his father, which had to happen as he endured the wrath of God for sin, as he took your sin and mine on himself. That's what this is about. And so in that, we can know forgiveness. We can know the gift, as David talked about, the gift of eternal life. If we believe, we put our trust in him. And that's where Luke is going. He's saying he is the innocent one. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's all of us apart from him. And so Jesus has done that. But for a moment, I want us not to just bow in reverence and worship, as we should, to our substitute, our Savior, but also look at how he breathed his last, how he endured the cross that he didn't deserve. How is it that he responded to the torture, to the mockings, that he endured. And so we're going to look at the cross prayers. Uh, you throw them up there. The first one is in verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Now, scholars debate, is he talking about the Romans who are actually doing the nailing of the hands? Um, or, you know, or is he talking about the Jewish 
uh, leaders who have basically on behalf of the nation said, we reject you, we don't receive you as our Messiah. And I'd say it's all of the above, but particularly um, it's most assigned, if you will, to the Jews. Because in Acts, Peter says, this Jesus, you know, whom, whom you're basically responsible. It's that it's, you're responsible for his death. But actually, God appointed it. And so, but Jesus, notice this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Forgiveness for us um, is not, it's okay, or in denial. Forgiveness means, yes, there was a wrong. There is a wrong. And yet, I'm willing to absorb payment. If any of you have teenagers, perhaps they've had an accident. Perhaps they have $2 in their account. You've, a, you've paid payment. Now, you may have extracted it from them later. That's not what God does. But, but there had to be payment for wrong done. And our instruction, the way we are to live in this life, Ephesians 4.32, when it comes to forgiveness, is not do we feel like it? Do I think you deserve it? Am I going to say, it's all right, like there was nothing wrong? No, we, had, we acknowledge the wrong, but, it, but Ephesians 4.32, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. Christ didn't forgive you or me because we deserve it. He didn't forgive them in the moment because they were being exonerated. He's saying, Father, forgive them. They, they are ignorant. They know not what they are doing. And he can do that because of what's inside of him, because of what the power that God gave him. What he's demonstrating here is what we've sung about, mercy. Mercy means you deserve God's whomping, but he doesn't give it to you. And then when we trust Christ, that's grace. It means you get something you didn't deserve. And Jesus can pray this prayer because truly he can forgive and he, can access, he has access to the Father to say, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The next prayer is in verse 46. As he's dying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now he's been doing this all along and trusting himself and trusting himself and trusting himself, but now he's at the moment to say, and in John's gospel, he says, it is finished. He says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he died. He breathed his last. And the centurion said, truly, this man was innocent, or truly, this man was the son of God. But let's, let's look just again uh, for a moment um, at how he breathed his last, how he endured the cross. Miles Fidel, who is a pastor at Auburn Community Church, um, I got to hear him say this. This is in October of 2022. He did a message called The Aftermath of the Cross. And I like this quote. He says, The cross is not just a location where Jesus died for you. It is. It's not just. The cross is your invitation to come and die with Jesus. The way Jesus died is not just a moment to admire, but the way Jesus died is also a model to be imitated. Let me say this again because we're in a Bible church. We are not saying Jesus is an example now really suck it up and go do it. That is not what we're saying. We have celebrated. He is our substitute. He is our place taker. And apart from that, we have no hope of being in relationship with God. 
But that being said, Luke is very careful to show that Jesus can relate to all of us as son of man, that he is the model human, that often, therefore, we can see in Luke's gospel that he is led by the Spirit. He's yielded to the Spirit. In this moment, he follows the Spirit's leading. He gets with the Father. What Luke is saying is, yes, he is our innocent place taker, but he's also the one who shows us, follow my way, because you, when you have my Spirit, when you trust him, you have his Holy Spirit now indwelling you, that means we have power. That means we can live and forgive somebody who does not deserve it. And in fact, as, as I talk about forgiveness, you probably have somebody that they get on your last nerve or they, you're like, I just can't get there. You can get there with the Spirit's help. And so Jesus is a model for us. So that's why we're looking at the way of prayer in Jesus' life. He didn't just give us a prayer like, hey, throw this up, you know, your kingdom come, and everything's hunky-dory. No, it's a template to say, get with God so he can get you. And in that getting, strengthen you, renew you, because we all need it on a moment-by-moment and especially daily basis. So um, next slide. We're just going to look really quick, and then we're going to move to the garden. But... You have the mockings, and basically you can boil, there's three mockings thrown at him. The rulers are sneering, the soldiers are also mocking, and then the criminals hanging there with him, one of them anyway, is hurling abuse. But basically you can boil down what they say is, do something. You saved others, save yourself. That's the mocking from the rulers. The, the criminal's smart. He's like, look, I got like minutes here. Can't get my, can't press up on the cross and breathe too many more times. You saved others, save yourself and us. And we would probably pray the same exact prayer. We'd probably be hurling abuse if we thought, why aren't you coming through for me? But they're basically saying, do something. Show, prove who you are. And or for us, as we watch him, our Savior, dying, say, yeah, do something. Those guys deserve for you to come off of the cross and take care of them. They deserve for you to put them in their place verbally. Just look back for a moment. How does Jesus respond? Look at the, look at the words on the page in front of you. He doesn't say anything to them. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He doesn't say anything except for the one who says, why are you hurling abuse? We, should, we deserve to be here. Would you remember me? And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that's a mini portal for us to see that when we're entrusting ourselves to him, it, it's a mini portal into heaven answering. We, we sang something about heaven answering. It's heaven's answer for that man in his dying moment. Today you'll be with me. In paradise. Those are Jesus' responses. I don't know about you, but when someone is questioning my motives, when they want to stain my reputation, when I feel like they're a threat to me getting that next promotion back in the day when I worked in the corporate world or whatever, the temptation is to be like, 
I'll take care of this. I'll take care of you. I'll self-promote. I'll self-indulge if I don't really want to take action, but I got to comfort myself. Or I'll, I'll, I'll self-protect. I'll defend. I'll come back. I'll ante up and kick in. Jesus doesn't do that. And so as we are grateful for what the cross means for us, he took your sin and mine on himself so that we might not face what we do deserve. Also marvel. Marvel at the one who responded to mockings and abuse with Father, forgive them. And then see where his heart was secured. See where he often went when crisis was coming earlier in his life, and it was, was his custom, and as he often withdrew. Why? So that he could have strength, so that he could prepare for when the pressures mounted, so that he could respond the way that he did. See, they perceived Jesus not doing anything or saying anything as passivity. We think that of one another. Boy, you don't deserve that. You ought to, you ought to go smear her name everywhere. At the next PTA meeting, you ought to just roast her. You ought to expose him online for what he's done to you. That's what we would tell each other. You better arm up or you better promote your name. They think, well, you're, you're just showing pa your passivity. Weak, it's weakness. You must not be who you said you are, or you just can't do anything about it. Let me tell you, he's demonstrating the ultimate strength in this life, and it's one word, gentleness. Gentleness does not mean doormat. Gentleness does not mean everybody walks all over you. Gentleness also doesn't mean I'm just going to live in denial that anything wrong is going on, and let me just get over here, and time will help everything pass away. No, gentleness is controlled strength in the moment. That's what the word literally means, controlled strength. Jesus, they think he has no power. They think he's passive and weak. He's demonstrating the greatest strength that I wish that I could grow in. It is, it is what I would long to see God grow me in, that I don't have to respond that I don't have to self-promote, that I don't have to self-protect, that I don't have to lash back out at you. Gentleness. Gentleness on the cross because gentleness is controlled strength. And where did that strength come from? Hebrews 12. The author says we're in a race and it's going to take endurance and it's going to take enduring the moments that you don't want to be in and now you're straining, and now you're exhausted, and how are you going to respond now in the waning moments of the marathon? You throw that up there. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and every sin which so easily entangles us, including the sinful responses to win, and let us run with endurance. The word is hupomene. It means to remain under. It means to stay at it when the heat is up, when the things are falling apart. Stay at it. Endure. Endure the race that's set before us. Your race is not his race. It's not her race. It's your race. Let us run that way. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, there's the word again, endured the cross despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of 
the throne of God. You sit down at the right hand as a place of honor, and as a pr- he's not only sacrificed but priest when your work is done. That's the only time you sit down as a priest. Jesus can sit down at the right hand, having done the priestly work and also being the sacrifice. Verse 3, though, is where I want you to see. This is what we're trying to do right now. Four, consider him. Let your mind cogitate. Let your mind be attentive right now to how Jesus responded on the cross. Consider him who has endured another time, who's endured such hostility by sinners against himself, which we've just seen and heard. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Seeing him enduring that and knowing that if he didn't endure, this is ridiculous what we're doing this morning. It's ridiculous. But because of what he has done and secured us, if we have believed and trusted in him and what he did for us on the cross, not only do we have eternity secured, but eternal life is now. It's eternal life, he says, is, is that we might know him and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. It is a relationship It's of eternal quality, not just duration, that it doesn't end. And he says, we can live that kind of enduring eternal life that he has now given us and not grow weary and lose heart. Does that mean you're never going to be weary? No. I was a couple times this week going, what is the deal? I feel like stuff's draining out of me. I feel like I don't have what it's going to take today and losing heart. I think this marks our age. And, you know, Jesus' words echo. Take heart. This world is going to be awful, but, you know, take heart. I have overcome the world. And so he says we got to consider him who endured that so that we might not lose, grow weary and lose heart. Well, let's look at where that strength can't come from comes from. It's the garden. Turn to Luke 22. In verse 39, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means the press of oils. It's where your olive oils would be pressed so you get the good stuff. But it had to go through pressing in order to get the good stuff. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Luke doesn't actually tell us that. He tells us Mount of Olives, but it's the same place. He goes to, uh, there's a, a press within the olive um, grove that was near the temple and is a place that he often went. So look at verse 39. And he came out and he went, and as was his habit, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. Now when he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you do not come into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you do not come into temptation. Now, you can also find this uh, in Mark's account and Matthew's account. And I believe Mark's account, it it lets us know that that he was uh, grieved to the point of death. 
that what was the emotions running through Jesus were that fatigue and that, that pressing and that death is, is upon me and I know what it's going to be like. That swimming, that, that anguish is swimming through him. The other accounts also, Luke compresses it. The other accounts also give us that Jesus went away and prayed and he came and found them asleep. Can you wake up and pray, please? Pray for me. And he goes and prays again, and he comes back, and they're still asleep three times. And so this is a moment of anguish. It's not only dark outside, it's dark, dark, dark. What Jesus faces. And so here he is in the place where he often went, the place called Gethsemane, because that's where olives got pressed. And what does he pray? The, the verse 42, you can throw that up there. He says, Father, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, not my will, but yours be done. Notice in the two prayers from the cross and in this prayer, he addresses him as Father each time. That's not a throwaway. That is, you're my Father, I'm your Son. We love one another. From eternity past, we have loved one another, and it's been perfect love. There hasn't ever been a moment where I've withheld from you or I've kind of gotten back at you. Perfect union. Father. And Jesus has come to a moment, and he says, if you're willing, if you're willing, is there another way? I mean, you're God. Is there another way? Then he says, and he says, if there is another way, remove this cup. The cup would be the cup of God's wrath, particularly poured out, which for him would mean, because God can have nothing to do with sin, and now his wrath is poured out on sin, God's got to turn. However long, we don't know how long. If somebody tells you they know how long or what, they don't. But it was a real abandonment, and that's what most caused him angst and anguish, even the momentary forsaking. It was real, and he knew it would be. And he said, if there's any other way, hear this, there was no other way. This was the way. Death and cruel death on a cross. And so he says, yet not my will. That's what I desire, but my deepest desire is that your will be done. You realize that you and I have some strong desires. I don't, I don't know about y'all, but I felt my humanness even more in more recent days, like I feel like my nerve endings are just shot and also at the same time like charged and it's like I've got really strong desires. Sometimes I got a strong desire to again lash out or you know puff myself up or whatever. Those are really strong desires. Well I guess those are my desires, but then there are deeper desires. If you are in Christ, He has put in you His Spirit and therefore, that spirit who also we talked about last week, he intercedes for you with groans to do. He, he brings about those groans within us, those deeper, deeper, deeper desires to honor God, to know him, to be known by him, and to know his strength in this life, and to be with him ultimately in eternity. Those are our deepest desires. But Jesus is letting him know. These are, this, is there any other way? This is what I've been feeling here. Is there any other way? That would be my strong desire, potentially. 
but not my will. My strongest desire, Lord, is that you would be honored and you know the long game. So I submit to you, not my will, but yours be done. When I said, where do you go when crisis hits? Just think of this prayer. Some of us uh, actually hold back. We think the only part of this prayer to pray is your will be done. It is. It's ultimate. But God doesn't actually get all your heart there. See, Jesus gives him. He says, here's, here's my red dots, what I ask us to pray. Here's where I really am right now in this moment. But my strong desire, my strong desire is if there's another way. But not my will, but yours be done. He's being, in our vernacular, our words, it's, he's being real with God about where he really is. And yet that doesn't mean that overtakes. Your feelings don't rule the show. But we sure do, as, particularly as evangelical Bible churchians, we sure gloss over what's really going on within us. That's why there's a lot of folks in Dallas who know a lot of stuff. They know Greek and Hebrew, and they're angry people. That's why there's a lot of you in here, and it's not just the young people. It's us mid, midlife crisis people that your Christian life is boring because the real you doesn't show up with the real God. So Jesus is saying, here I am, Father. And ultimately, he gets to not my will, but yours be done. Haddon Robinson who's now with the Lord, um, is a DTS prof, also a pastor for years. Can you throw up the quote? It's two slides, Nick. Um, he says this, where was it that Jesus sweat great drops of blood? Now it's debated whether it was actually real blood or just metaphorical, but the idea is he's in intense anguish as he prays. Where was that 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 happened? Not in Pilate's hall when he's being interrogated, nor on his way to Golgotha. That's where he died on the, the, the skull. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he offered up prayers and petition with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. In other words, he wasn't all polished. He had a come apart, but in an altogether way. Haddon Robinson said, had I been there and witnessed that struggle in the garden, I would have worried about the future. Next slide. If he's so broken up when all he's doing is praying, I might have said, what will he do when he faces a real crisis? Why can't he approach this ordeal with the calm confidence of his three sleeping friends? Yet when the test came, Jesus walked to the cross with courage, and his three friends fell apart and fell away. I think that's a great quote, because that's shedding light on, or, or uh, that, that's what I'm trying to get to here. The point is, can you be perfectly composed and, and, and poised in front of everyone so they think that you're gentle and calm in the moment? That's not the point. But it is, how do I um, be fully present in a moment where God might bring a redemptiveness even through my response, even if it's ugly, and even if I cry ugly while it's happening. But I do it with a renewed strength that came from the Lord. I didn't do it by me being Southern and, you know, courteous and all those other virtues that we have, hold it together. No, I'm held together by the one that I went to seek strength from, and he strengthened. Notice Jesus was strengthened by the angels, And notice, even after strengthening, he's still agonizing in prayer. 
It doesn't remove the agony. God doesn't answer his prayer by saying, you know what, let's just cancel all the other sequence of events. God's answer is in the resurrection. I'm going to strengthen you for the cross, and then I'm going to, it's going to be verified. Yes, it is finished. Payment counted. 1 Peter 2, for you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. This is exactly what we just read. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But what did he do? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. He couldn't have been the suitable savior had he gone his own way, had he defended, had he sinned. But he obeyed the Father's will, even to the point of death and death on a cross, it says in Philippians 2, because he humbled himself and he kept entrusting himself to the Father. He uttered no threats on the cross because it was part of his pattern again and again of entrusting himself to the Father. Now, your olive press moments, that's where I want to get to here. Where do you draw strength? Some of you are right now in a Gethsemane, meaning you're being pressed. Some of us are in a press of our own making. But many of us are, are just in one of those kind of, it's not like um, catastrophic, but it's kind of just pressing. I just feel it. There's something that's just continually nipping at you. And so, and then some of you are in a crisis. You have... You have a moment um, at work where you're not sure you can keep working in that company because of what's happening, or you've been sidelined, or in your marriage there is such strain, and you're like, yeah, I know, but let me win one more time real quick, and then we'll, we'll make up. Or you have a child that you're just like, oh, I just I ache for this child. I want this child to be restored to you. Whatever that, that is for you, a pressing moment. Where do you draw strength? I just want to give you a couple things just looking at Jesus' prayer. You can go to the next slide. Three unimpressive encouragements to you. Number one, Jesus again, the Haddon Robinson. He had his come apart, if you will, in a place with the Father. Not because he's worried about what people think if he came apart over here, but because that's where he could be held that's where he could be reassured and find strength. And so first, for you, get alone with God and be unfiltered with him. Give him your feelings, your fears. I've told you before when I start my journal, I'll say, God, I don't much feel like journaling, praying, or anything else today. I'm kind of irritated. But I'm going to show up, and I'm going to pray, and maybe as I pray, maybe I'll pray. And sometimes I'll do nothing more than I'm here. Help. Then I'll just wait a little while and read some scripture, which we'll look at this next week. But give God your feelings. What is your red dot? Like in the mall, you go, you are here. Where are you in this moment? And let God meet you in that moment. You meet him in that moment, but do it unfiltered. Second one, second one be open-hearted. 
This is beyond just kind of your nerve endings and your feelings and your angst. This is what are your desires? If it is, um, God, right now, I cannot stop. I want to have a second and third look at that woman or that man. And I, I'm, I, I just desire to almost just objectify her or him. Tell him that. You thought you'd never hear that in a sermon. Tell him what your, that's a strong desire. Tell him your strong desire and then say, God, God help, help me with that. Meet me in that place. I, I know I can get sideways. I know even as I'm saying it, that's out of bounds. But I also don't know where, what, what am I supposed to do with this? Just be open-hearted. Tell him your desire. Tell him, God, I can't stand that guy and I hope he gets fired at work. And I'm really tempted right now, Lord, to sabotage him by doing something on his reports. Okay? None of us are that sinister except for we do go that route. Tell him. Lastly, be open-hearted and then be open-handed. The open-handed, this is really hard for us. Whatever that thing is pressing, that thing, a dilemma that you just want resolution, you want solution, you want God to just intervene. He might, but one of the things we need to do in this, being open-handed, like he said, not my will but yours be done, is release outcomes. Give him the outcomes. And then release your illusion of control. Every single one of us in here has that. And we think, well, if you'll just do this, then life will really start working. And then also really start flourishing. And God's like, this moment I got you sort of in a, a pickle, because now I could possibly get your heart. And let me help you, by the way. Not one of you can add a single cubit to your life by worrying. And then lastly, receive his strengthening. Be strengthened by him. But we're not strengthened. Uh, I heard somebody a few weeks ago saying, God trans cannot transform the person you're pretending to be. God can't strengthen a person who's not really there for strength, but with a formula. Or, uh, God, I'm holding you to my demand. You need to do this. He did not answer Jesus' prayer the way we think God should answer our prayers for deliverance, etc. But he did say, I'll give you strength in it. And I'll bring about ultimately my glory. Favorite verse in the Bible, Psalm 62, 8, came for me in a moment of personal crisis. I thought my mom might have cancer. I was a junior in college. I got away to this little creek in Auburn, kind of hidden behind some bushes by the football fields. We're real protective. We don't want the enemy finding our place. So it's like double hedges. I got in between the hedges and went to this creek. And I just prayed, Lord, I pray that my mom wouldn't have cancer. I'm so grateful for her. I just kind of poured out my heart. This psalm, I came across it, I think, later that day. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. The key to enduring the cross or the key to enduring the season or the thing that's weighing on you right now, the key to enduring is entrusting. He didn't revile in return. He didn't take control. Sure, be diligent. Do what you can. Play your part. Do what you can. But ultimately, open your hands and give it to him. He says, I want your heart, and I'm inviting you. Spew your heart on me because I delight in hearing the hearts of my people, and I delight in responding. I'm going to show you an old hymn to close. This is our benediction. 
I'm not going to make you sing anything except the chorus, but if you'd stand. This is one of the hymns. I told you I went to a funeral last week. I'm a sick person, except for I think it's right. I love going to funerals, especially of a believer, because they, they're clarifying. And I wept and wept and wept in that funeral of my young life leader, who only was 60 and he died. Just thankful for his influence in my life. But it also just hit me, like, what do I want my life to be about? I want my life to be characterized by God's strengthened endurance in moments when, it's, when the crowds are here and it's high and it's good times and when it's low. And I want to be characterized by the gentleness of Jesus. And my friend who died, boy, everybody who shared about it. He never met a stranger. He always had time for you. And even when you're in your worst moment, he'd meet you with grace and gentleness. That's our Savior. That's your Savior. And he's inviting you. You don't have to pretend because that leads to boring Christianity. And you don't have to do it on your own because that'll just burn you out. But come unto me. Trust me at all times. So this is what I want sung at my funeral. If my wife goes before me, then y'all remember that. Okay? We're going to actually read the verses. You're going to see in the second verse what we just saw in the Scripture. And then we're just going to sing the how marvelous part. Okay? Here we go. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner, condemned, unclean. For me it was in the garden he prayed, not my will, but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Uh, one, one more, one more, one more. Keep going. I've got to give the last verse. When with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. T'will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. Now we're going to sing. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Have a great week.